Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Phillips to Charteris to Falatau. Tackled by Zarzewski on the 22. This is Fax! He's gonna score a try! Happy New Year and thanks for downloading this week's Attacking Scrum podcast. We've had loads of rugby over the festive period, not least three weeks of back-to-back Welsh derbies, including two wins out of three for the Dragons. But don't worry, this isn't just about me ranting on about the Dragons. We'll cover all of the regions and have a look at where they stand, not only based on the festive results, but how their seasons have been so far. Joining me to do all of that is Steph Thomas, good friend of the show and top journalist. And he joined me to not only do that, but also to look ahead towards the Six Nations and uh, some of the selection dilemmas that Wayne Pivak has got, not least at centre, where we have a real injury crisis at the moment. Better news though at Scrum Half, where he has Reese Webb available. This week it was confirmed that Reese Webb will not only be returning to the Ospreys, but is also available for selection for the Six Nations. So Steph and I will be having a, a chat about that and what it means not only for Wales, but for regional rugby as a whole. Quick thanks to our sponsors before we get underway. Uh, backing us again for another year, that is of course So Coffee Trades. If you're a coffee lover, genuinely head over to socoffeetrades.co.uk and you won't be disappointed. Quick word about the audio quality on this week's episode. So unfortunately we weren't able to use the usual equipment that we have. It wasn't available for us. So yeah, it might sound a little bit rough around the edges, but hopefully still good enough for you to get your teeth or get your ears stuck into. And uh, yeah, all of that coming up on this week's episode along with listeners' questions So this week of the Attacking Scrum podcast is me and Steph Thomas, and I started by asking Steph what he made of the festive derbies. So mm. 
um, that does sort of emphasise that you know there is an appetite for these uh, these derbies in uh, you know among Welsh rugby fans, and obviously you know we, we there isn't as much of an appetite for your sort of run of the mill pro fourteen game, which which is a problem. So that that that's something to to mention. I think in terms of the quality of rugby, I wouldn't say the quality was as high as as, as perhaps you find in in the Gallagher Premiership. Mm. Um, or certainly, but they were the inter-pro derbies in Ireland. But you know, they, they were um, they were entertaining fixtures on the whole. Uh, I think there were a lot of players that you could see there was an edge among a lot of players that perhaps had been on the periphery, the, the, the national periphery. Um, obviously, there's a new coach in Wayne Pivak, so he's going to have different opinions. It's a clean slate for everyone. So you could see there were a lot of players trying to put their hands up, uh, maybe playing above themselves as well, and, and that was encouraging. So on the whole, I think that the Christmas derbies were we're a positive, um, but you know, as, as we say, say every year, really, um, you know, it, it, it's just a shame that we can't get this level of interest in in the games, um, you know, in, in your regular Pro 14 games. Something that I was keen to get your take on as well, because I don't think we've had you on the show since this news kind of broke a little while ago. But firstly, the the investment from CVC into the Pro 14. And then this kind of ongoing conversation about a potential, and we kind of have to stress that word, a potential British and Irish league being explored. Firstly, what are your thoughts on the CBC investment? And secondly, do you think that the uh, the British and Irish league could be a reality? I think on the whole, um, the CBC investment is, is a positive. I mean, it comes with risks, of course mm. it does, because they're going to they're gonna take a slice of the... Um of the income every year, but their their job is obviously to try and increase this commercial value so that it, it makes more money year on year. Um, obviously, you know these private equity firms are going to want their pound of flesh. They're going to want want an investment. They're not doing it from the from the goodness of their own hearts. And you know, looking at the Pro 14, it, it is pretty difficult to see see these commercial sort of you know the the value of the commercial rights and, and the value of the competition as a whole sort of improving because you know ultimately international rugby I know the Irish fans will have a different opinion mm. to about them but certainly in Wales the, and the competition as a whole really is, is devalued by international rugby mm. being it's just, and I know international rugby cuts into the premiership and um, the top 14 but obviously the common sense isn't it? I mean the, there's a, it's a lot more um it leans on the Pro 14 a lot more, um, so obviously that that's a big issue. You know, for argument's sake, if you look at the next round of fixtures in February, you got Scarlets against Edinburgh. So uh, Edinburgh top, Scarlets second of Conference B. You know that should be a mouth-watering encounter, but such an important game is going to be played with two second-string teams. So you got to ask yourself why would anybody want to invest in that? But so what I'm getting at is the only way I can see. The, pro, uh, the CVC increasing the commercial sort of revenue and just increasing the improving the value of the Pro 14 is, is a British and Irish league really now obviously the Irish probably don't want it the English probably don't want it but you know if if that if CVC's pockets are deep enough to make it happen I suppose so you know I, I believe it when I see it because mm. I think there's lots of barriers but certainly I'm talking from a Wales perspective now obviously um from a Welsh perspective, you know, looking ahead, I think we need a British Irish League, or um, you know, or we're uh, you know gonna still you know we're in trouble really. Uh, I think it's it's something that um, the 
Formula E when the professor of rugby would need to be driving forward, in my opinion. Yeah, well, no, it's, I, I think from a, Welsh, from a Welsh perspective, realistically, it's the only, it feels like the only kind of sustainable way forward for for a meaningful competition that's, that's going to generate more revenue. Like you say, I suppose the Irish are the uh, uh, ones who particularly would look at it and say, well, if this doesn't necessarily work for us. But at the same time, you know, the if the price is right, I think it will because the the burden is, you know, a lot of the burden is on the, the Irish Rugby Union for, for picking up the tab for a huge chunk of professional rugby. If there are outside investors who help to make, help to kind of ease that and... Ease that that outgoing that they have every single year. Then I think they they have to have a look at it. And really, you know, I I know I know that the, the crowds are good in Ireland and and stuff. But at the same time, you know, really this league, I, I just don't I I can't really think that it actually excites Irish fans massively. You know, it's it's fine, Leinster uh, yeah Leinster winning you know every game of the, of the season so far. But really, does that actually excite people? Uh, and you know, you, you mentioned there the the Scarlet's Edinburgh game um, being being played with a couple of second strings. Well, you had you know you had Leinster and Munster putting out putting out weakened teams throughout throughout this season against each other. And historically, you know that would be that'd be such a, a great fixture. So I don't know. I, I think for for a very very long time, the Pro Fourteen, the whatever incarnations we've had before of it, Pro Twelve and Pro Ten. And you know, Celtic League, as it was, has struggled in terms of having meaningful competition, and that's something that they, they they've got to get right. I, I suppose the the only other thing that might be worth considering is with CBC being hovering around the Six Nations as well. If they're major stakeholders in both, and they again the price is right, there could be an opportunity for them to help influence uh, the the scheduling so that it doesn't impact on on both of those tournaments and. You know, I absolutely agree with your sentiment that they're not they're they're far from a charity, but I think they recognise that in order to make it a commercial success, these are the kind of things that need to be ironed out. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. I mean, you know, as you said there, I mean Leicester against Manchester, two second string teams. I mean, in all fairness, it's, you know, it was a stellar crowd and their second string teams are still pretty strong, but come off it. I mean, it's Christmas time. Mm. You should should have. You know, Robbie Henshaw, Sexton, the whole lot playing as long as they're fully fit. And, and you know, Irish fans don't agree with this often, but it's, it's you know, it devalues the league, doesn't it? Um, you know, everything is, obviously they, they want to win the Pro 14, of course they do. I'm not saying they don't take it seriously, but they perhaps don't take it seriously as they should. And in my opinion, right, I don't know if many of your listeners will agree with this, I think that the Gallagher Premiership and the Top 14 are better competitions than the Champions Cup because you look at the Champions Cup not not in terms of quality but in terms of excitement and meaningful rugby because you look you look at the next weekend's games right so yesterday Bath played um, uh, Gloucester in a derby obviously mm. you know Bath you know struggling a bit you know Gloucester going for the top four lot on that you know Bragan right and then next week you know Bath I think they're playing Harlequin both sides are out after this game yeah uh, I think, um, I think they're going to Clem, oh, they're playing Clem on home, I think. So, um, again, they're already out, you know. So, there's a lot of dead rubbers in Europe, you know, whereas in your domestic league, um, you know, there's relegation, that's huge. Um, and obviously, you know, there's something on games every week. And if you lose games, you know, there's severe consequences. And I don't know if you read it, but there was a really, it was a cracking um, column with Ronan O'Gara in one of the Irish papers. 
and obviously he's been brought up as a monster man you know he he's a monster legend he's a great player for them on Ireland and he, he obviously his coach is super rugby as well but since coaching in France and you know with Racing and Noah La Rochelle I mean he was saying you know comprehend you know hand and half that playing in the competition with relegation is far superior yeah. to to the sort of super rugby pro 14 model you know it, it, everybody's invested in it and, and I just you just get a feeling that when you go back it's gone now but if you went back to when rugby went professional in 96 and the wheels are off in a few places yeah. in an Anglo-Welsh league if they'd taken that I think we'd be in a far healthier position now um but back to your point on CVC, I think in terms of the Welsh regions, with the CVC money coming in, everything now comes through the professional rugby board. Mm-hmm. So obviously they've got to give a bit more money to the regions. But I think what they've got to do is create a sustainable model whereby they can increase revenue year on year. You know, there's been talk of, of them building a hotel in Westgate Street, that sort of thing to increase revenue. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's wise to just give them the money, you know, straight out. Obviously they've got to give a little bit extra, of course they do. But, you know, otherwise it's just all going to go on players' wages. So yeah. they need to be, uh, you know, a sustainable model which brings money in year on year and increases revenue. But, uh, yeah, I, uh, I'm not a big fan of the Pro 14 model, as you probably guess. Well, no, likewise. And, we've you know, we've discussed this on here numerous times that it just feels, you know, it's, it, it, works, it works for the Irish regions. Of course it does because they've... It, it, they've got a centralised model so they can rotate players in, in order to, to kind of help the national side and you know arguably they probably should have achieved more as a national side with that kind of that kind of support structure there but it, but in terms of it being a meaningful competition you know I, if you were to ask if you were to ask your, your standard um, English rugby fan kind of what they thought of the Pro 14 or who was top of the Pro 14 you know you might get a guess of Leinster but I, I don't think it conjures up much imagination outside of Outside of the the territories that it's that it's played in, and even then, you know, it, I find it hard because it's so disparate. It's hard to kind of get excited about when you when you've got kind of limited time to sit down and go. Oh, actually, I'm going to watch Leinster second string play. Uh, you know, batter zebra at at, um, at Donnybrook or whatever. It's it's a hard thing to kind of get excited by. Whereas you're right, and I, you know, again, I I know I might just be thinking complete pipe dreams here with the British and Irish league. But if that was a if that was a two tier competition, just imagine how phenomenal that would be, you know, because you've you've got meaningful rugby and the the thought of throwing in derbies against you know a uh, you know you might have a scarlets scarlets versus you know versus Bath or Gloucester, you know, very easy to make the trip and have more away support. You've then got you know you could have uh, the likes of having the likes of. You know, so even someone like like Leicester would probably, on merit, be in the the second tier of that. But they're such an historic rugby club with a, such a, a strong fan base that that would add massively to uh, to the competition. I think it just feels like that that would be a massive step forward. Yeah, don't get me wrong. There are periods of the Pro 14 season where it's pretty good. You know, mm. like the derbies, the running at the end of the season to the playoffs and the players itself. You know, and I was up there when Dallas won the league and then when they lost previous year to Leinster and a fantastic occasion so that's great but week to week it's not a good competition it's not as, as we've already said and mm. I think you're right I mean it's a lack of away fans as well yeah. you know, if you're Charles against Bath one week in Connecticut and next week it'll be like you know the Scarlet's are going to play Gloucester yeah. and then you know the, you, fans are getting to a habit as well and they, they build more support um, yeah and you could potentially have relegation as well so I, I think it's the right way forward. And 
and I also think, you know, obviously the negative is immediately value the, the European Cup, but I think getting this right, I think, is more important than the European Cup, personally. Yeah, well, yeah, I feel exactly the same. And the other thing is, to go back to your point about there being too many dead rubbers in the European Cup, you know, it's up to the European Cup. They, they had an opportunity to remodel this whenever it was, six, seven years ago, when it, when it moved from being the Heineken Cup to the Champions Cup and you had a new, you know, a kind of a new board and a new governing body. And really, it feels like a watered-down version of what was the Heineken Cup. There's more dead rubbers. Yeah. They, have, they have to reinvent that into something that, that's going to work. And, you know, that's, that's kind of the world that we live in now. You've got people like CVC out there trying to, to grow the game, not out of the goodness out of their heart, but in order to make money. And part of that, they, you know, will be a, will be a huge threat to the Champions Cup. The, the top 14 is already a massive threat to it. And you know what it's like with the French sides, if they lose their first game in the Champions Cup, you know, ah, do you know what, let's concentrate on the league. There's way more, there's way more at stake. So it's, it's an interesting time for, for administrators all across Europe, I'd say. Yeah, we're out of off the shed moment, don't we? Um, we're out of real crossroads because obviously with CVC coming in, this is, you know, in television deals um, expiring and whatnot. You know, it, 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 there's a chance to change things. And obviously, I was at, you know, an Osprey crisis press conference a, a month or two back, and Rob Davis, their chairman, unprompted claimed that, you know, there's going to be a British and Irish league. Um, and I think there have been other Welsh officials that have as well. I mean, obviously, this, they've got, they will stand to gain more than maybe England and mm. Ireland. But, yeah, I think um, talk from a Welsh point of view, it's got to happen. There's uh, no other option, in my opinion. Interesting stuff, Steph. Right, we've got loads of listeners' questions to get through. Let's have a quick, uh, quickly get your take on the Derby games before we do that. Uh, so... We've ended up in the in a situation where there's been what two wins for for all of the regions except for the Ospreys, and yeah, how do, how do you kind of assess each of the each of the regions and how they've got on? We'll start with we'll start with your team, the Scarlets. Um, how yeah, how do you assess the the festive period for them? Um, I think um, they'd be content. Um, mm. they, they should have they should have beaten the Dragons. I think the Dragons deserve to win that game. Um, but I think that the Scarlet were were in control at one point, and uh, on you know form was out of the window in derby games, obviously. But on paper, they should have been far superior. Um, but you know, you know, there were a couple of contentious referee decisions, but they they should have won that game, even though they didn't deserve to. Um, obviously, the Ospreys game was um, was magnificent for Scarlet fans. It was a record win in that fixture. Um, they nailed the Ospreys. I mean. How many, you know, they're probably still feeling the pain of those, you know, when I think they lost 62, 62-20 back in 2010, there were a couple of few hijinks against them, so that that was obviously very penetrable for Scarlet fans, but, you know, the Ospreys are obviously pretty awful, to put it mildly, so they'd be happy with that. I think they got, got out of jail on Friday night against the Cardiff Blues, I think, um, you know, that was a game that the Blues should have won. They, they missed take the goal. Um, but, you know, a side that plays averagely and still wins away from home is a good team. And I think the Scarlets have got a very strong squad. And they've got a squad that should be competing in the playoffs at the end of the season. And, you know, they, they've not hit their straps yet. So I think they're in a pretty decent place. Um, they're a good team with, with a lot of improvement to do. So I think they'd be content, I think. All right. What then, just quickly... While we wrap up on the Scarlets, what then about 
the the kind of the coaching situation. Obviously, Brad Moore's coming made a very positive impact not only on the pitch, but he's uh, you know seems to be such a fantastic character that that uh, he's he's kind of lit up the the press conferences as well. What do you think? Uh, kind of, do you have any intelligence for us on kind of where the Scarlets are on that search for uh, for a replacement? Interesting. Right, let's have a look at the other regions then before we, we take on the listeners' questions and have a, a look at kind of Six Nations stuff in the second half of the show. Cardiff Blues, um, interesting, interesting for them because they've, they've not had a particularly good start to the season, you know, some, some poor performances in there, but they seem to really hit, um, hit a, a good vein of form during, um, during kind of the, the run-up to and during the festive derbies. They'll be very. You alluded to it there. You know, almost like the Scarlets got out of jail because the Blues left a lot of points on the pitch on Friday night. Uh, where do you kind of see them as the season? John, John Mulverhill on on uh, Premier Sports in his press conference was pretty frank in terms of you know he's uh, he, he seemed a very frustrated man that they weren't able to to get out of uh, to get out of those fixtures three wins from three. Yeah, I mean they should, they should have won on Friday night. Um, no doubt about that. They, they left the Scarlets off the hook, but. I honestly don't think the Cardiff Blues are far away from being a really competitive team. Mm. They're competitive as it is, but being a team that can compete in the playoffs. You look at their back division, it's um, it's very exciting. They, they played the better rugby on Friday night. In fact, Scarlett didn't play much rugby at all, to be honest. But, you know, they, they got some exciting young talent. They got some quality there. You know, like a Jared Evans, Carla Hall was out when he's fit. He's, he's a good player, Lee Lowe. Adams is world class in my opinion. Lane's only going to get better. You got Amos there as well. So their back division is is top top class. They've got a great back row. They're, they're outstanding at the breakdown. Mm. But where they lack is a front five. Yeah. 
dominant in that area. They were they, they did bully them for periods of the game. And if you look at the Scarlets as overseas signings, they got Tavita Atuva, who's man and match, he's big guy, powerful card, and they got Sam Lousy. You know, if the Blues have two locks like that, that would be the difference between winning and losing many games that they lose. They do lack power mm. in the third fight, but they're pretty weak at hooker, I think. You know, the lineup was appalling against Scarlett, so that cost them a game as well. They need to recruit there, and I still think that they need to tight their props. So I think Mullerville's identified, as you said in the press, that they got players lined up and they're close to, you know, announcing some big signings, significant signings. So I think a front, if they can get a front five recruitment right, I honestly think that they'd be contenders in the last stages of Pro 14, and, and they can start, you know, getting back in the Champions Cup and making a, a mark there. So um, I don't think they're far away at all, if I'm being honest. With you. Yeah, that's I think it's a, a pretty good assessment. Again, anyone who's listened to this podcast before will have heard my thoughts on the Cardiff Blues front five and and where they should have done their their recruitment last year. You know, as I agree, look, you know, any side is is going to benefit from having the likes of uh, of Adams and and Amos in that in that side. But really, we know that they've got they've got sparkling backs. Really, what they need. To do is, is invest in some power. I tell you one thing. I, th- I think Philo Paolo has been a been a good addition. To be honest, I mean, I know he's what 32, 33 years old, and they picked him up kind of mid season. But it is just a it, it does just bring a bit of experience, and um, you know, and I think he's, he's probably kind of got a bit of rustiness out of his system in the first couple of games. But it it does just bring the kind of nasty smashing into rucks, good ball carrying option that I think that I think is is making them. Um, is making them a, look a stronger outfit and having better options in the front five, even though he's perhaps he's put, you know not not the most glamorous signing in the world. Yeah, exactly. They they, they lack that grunt in the front five, isn't they? I think also they really miss Dimitri Ahe. Mm. He's, he's one of the best scrummage in tight dead. It's not the best, I think, in in the Pro Fourteen. Um, you know, we've seen that during his Ospreys days. He's very injury prone. Um, you know, Dylan Lewis is great down the park, but. There are question marks of his scrummage against best opponents. It's a tight edge is a position he just strengthens. Blue said as well. The problem they got is they obviously thought that Reese Carey was going to, to be the man for them, but then he chopped them by leaving for Sarsen. Mm-hmm. Personally, I don't think it was the right decision because you know, he was offered significantly more money to stay at the Blues than he would have been first choice, but you know, it's his choice. But so I think Lou said is a, is a position they need to, to strengthen as well. And yeah, I think we're, we're both in agreement, don't we? If they can get a front five, um, and obviously they, they probably need to replace that for Nick Williams because he isn't getting any younger. They need to nail those positions, then um, you know, I think they're, they're in business. All right. What about the Dragons then? I'm gonna. I, I put out a tweet last night saying I was uh, I was gonna try and. <laughs> Try and not make this podcast as long as The Irishman on Netflix, because as you know, I could, I could, I could, uh, I could go on for some time about the dragons. That was but... long, wasn't it? The Irishman. <laughs> yeah. Wasn't good for I know. Trying to trying to trying to watch it when you've got a little one as well. I've, I've had to watch it across the course of five days, which I don't like doing with movies. But um, yeah, it was it was very long. Um, to yeah, to bring it back to the dragons, though. I mean, I'll just quickly give you my assessment before getting yours. I, I thought, you know, kind of, get, there was a fair amount of optimism going into going into the festive period. I think, for me, I wanted to see a, a couple of a couple of good results. Getting two wins out of three, I'm very very happy with. There's lots there's lots to work on still, and perhaps you know, not the 
not the prettiest on the eye, those displays. But getting those two wins at home, I think, is really, really encouraging. And um, and the kind of thing that, that Dean Ryan will have will have wanted to see uh, at this point in the season. I think it's been massive improvement. Um, you know, uh, I, I think that I think I've said this in this podcast in the past. So I think over the last few years, five or six years, there's been an easy team to beat. Mm. A Rodney Parade, which wasn't the case, you know, in you know in the old Newport days and Matoli Brown and whatnot. Uh, but you know, that's when you're in the head, it's in a when you're taking over a team that's been really poor for a long time, Ulster and probably it's fair to say, um, first thing you've got to do is turn them into a difficult team to beat mm-hmm. and ask your home past a difficult path to come and win. And if somebody's going to win there, they're going to have to leave with a bloody nose. And I think that's what he's done first and foremost. He's created a far tougher culture than, than he's inherited. Um, their budget is, is a lot less than the other regions, let alone Irish, for example. So, you know, obviously there's going to be some bad defeats ahead. I mean, that lost defeat to Zebrick was pretty shocking when yeah. they were without best players and obviously cornered earlier on in the season. And I think that there probably will be setbacks like that because they are handicapped, even though the budget is going up next season considerably. But I think what we've seen is a real, real mental toughness, a bloody mindedness. We look at our game against the Ospreys. Yeah. The big difference between both sides, right? Referee wasn't great. You know, let's be honest, that pass was forward to Leon Brown. <laughs> the big difference between both sides, I think, was, um, you know, the Ospreys were, were in control in the second half. They still won that game comfortably, really. Yeah. But they were a team devoid of any confidence, whereas the Dragons were a team that believed anything could happen after their win against the Scarlet. Uh, against the Scarlet and the Ospreys, they were dead and buried, but they fought their way out of a corner, out of a corner and came back fighting. Um, and you know, they ultimately won the game and, and they played really well. Uh, I probably deserved a bit more out of the game. There's now a defeat at the Arms Park as well. So that, that's still a, a far tougher proposition uh, this season. Um, I think Sam Davis, um, he, he's not flawless, but he's a, a huge upgrade on any. Ten that they've had for a very long time. Oh yeah, they got a set of halfbacks, a quality set of halfbacks. Who, as I said, they've got stuff to work on. They're not perfect, but they're huge upgrade and anything else. Um, and 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 you know, you, you look at their pack, right? Moriarty's a great player. Wayne Wright's an outstanding player. They've got some of the best young talent in Welsh rugby. Um, and, and what I like about Dean Ryan as well, when you speak to him, right? After, I remember after the game against Cornot early in the season, I covered the game, and then he came in, and I thought, oh, God, you know, he's, he's going to be really angry because mm. they just slaughtered a whole fight by a team that they should be competitive against. But there was no panic. He was like, look, you know, this is a long-term vision. He's not like Bernard Jackman, great bloke, but, you know, he, he was a bit too optimistic, saying, oh, you're going to, they're going to, you know, be in the playoffs after three years. And then that, he was like, look, We've lost this game, we've just got to be better next game. And mm. then after the Scarlet win, I thought, oh, he's going to be ecstatic, he's none of that. He was like, yeah, we won today, we've improved, but it's going to come for nothing if we don't win next week. All he wants to see is a consistency performance week in, week out, an improvement. And he's really grounded. And I think what Ryan is, he's had critics at previous clubs, um, like at Gloucester, where maybe he should have won more. Yeah. But what he does, he's a perfect coach for the Dragons at this stage in their development, because he can create stepping stones. He can create the platform where they can go on to better things.
doesn't care if you've won 100 caps or if you've won zero caps. It's all about how you perform in training and what he sees. And I, I think he's been a real positive appointment for them. And uh, they're going to have knockbacks, they're going to have bad defeats, but I think they're heading in the right direction at last. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And the interesting point there around doesn't matter whether you got 100 caps or, or none. I thought that was kind of on display yesterday. I thought Ross Moriarty had his, you know, had, uh, possibly his best game in a dragon shirt, actually. Was, you know, kind of really fired up, exactly what you want to see from him, and, uh, and put in a massive performance. Likewise, you know, perhaps the, the less fashionable or the less glamorous players in terms of Screech and Joe Davis in the second row put in massive shifts as they've been doing all year. And I think that, again, all of that comes down to having the right culture and the right coaches for me. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And also, um, they're talking highly of Simon Cross, um, yeah. defence coach. I think he's gone. I've never interviewed him. Maybe he's gone under the radar. I think you know Olivia Zam has been working there part time as well. The scrum's improved, so it's good coaching. Um, and yeah, I think that you know they're not going to be in the playoffs or anything, but uh, steady steps forward. I think. Absolutely right. We will talk about the Ospreys, but we've got some uh, some questions which have uh, come in in relation to that, and we're going to be doing that alongside answering all the other listeners' questions and also having a look ahead to a couple of the Six Nations uh, uh, games and seeing who might be uh, bolters for the uh, the squads when that's announced. I almost said Gatland's squad then, just force of habit. So uh, yeah, we'll be looking at that in the second half. That's coming up very very shortly. This is Nicky Smith. You're listening to Attack and Scrum, sponsored by Soul Coffee Trades. Time there to get stuck into some listeners' questions, Steph. Uh, first one is from Ian Alexander, who consistently does more preparation for this podcast than either of the two regular co-hosts. Uh, so thanks for that, Ian. Uh, this one's come in. I'm sure you'll cover the uh, the web deal in detail, uh, but who should start at 9 and 10 uh, for the Italy game, which is an interesting one. And... Um, how do you think Pivac's going to go about this? I mean, as much as it, it's tempting to look at it and say it's only Italy, this is his first competitive fixture in charge of Wales. He's going to want to he's going to want to put out a strong side and get a win here, isn't he? Yeah, of course. Um, you know, I think Wales are, are far superior to Italy anyway. But yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I think in, in terms of answering his first question, I, I think um, I don't think there's much between Thomas Williams and Gareth Davis. Mm. I think Williams is potentially Wales' best nine, but for the time being, I think I'll probably stick with Davis. I think he's he's always been um, criticised for certain aspects of his game. I've been one of the critics, um, but I think he's, for the past 18 months, I think his all-round game has improved, his game management has improved, his box kicking's also improved, although it needs to improve again. Uh, he's a phenomenal rugby player, but he's now an outstanding top-end international line as well. And I think one of the reasons that Warren Gatland always used to, not always, but more often than not, gave him the nod over Thomas Williams was, was his defence. Mm. Um, Sean Edwards thought he was one of the best defensive nines in the world and we saw it at the Arms Park on Friday night with that interception. People will, will say, oh, you know, everyone shouldn't have thrown that pass. So, you know, or, you know, and people will say, oh, what a great run. But it's not the run that's outstanding. It's, it's the reading, the, isn't it? It's the reading of the game. Yeah. And, and he says it all the time. You know, he's, he's turned it into an art form. He's one of the best defensive, if not the best defensive nines in world rugby. You know, he's a pretty underrated player in a way. So um, I think it's neck and neck. And I, I, don't, I don't really think there's... It doesn't really bother me who starts. But if I was Piv, I'd probably 
probably go with the experience of Davis with his his ability in defence. I think probably probably edges it, and I, I think Victor for me is nailed on a ten, and as long as he's fit, I think he's you know with Anscombe out and Patcher, I think he's one of Wales' uh, most important players in this campaign. I think. Yeah, I think I'd probably be looking at the same. I mean, scrum half again. Again, anyone who's, who's listened in the past will know what a big fan of Thomas Williams I am, and I think in terms of who I prefer watching, it probably is Thomas Williams just because it's excitement. But you know, that's that's me sat here as a fan saying that. The reality is, is you want to go out there and get results, and it, whoever he picks, they're two fantastic options to have. And again, let's be let's be honest, whoever plays on the bench is going to get 25, 30 minutes off it. I would say anyway. So you know they're they're both they're both going to have, have massive contributions, I think. And um, yeah, I don't know. So in terms of the, I think you're right. In terms of the long the long term, I think I think Thomas Williams has all the attributes to be uh, to be Wales's best nine. Right now, I think it probably is is Gareth Davis's shirt still. And again, for all those reasons you outlined, I think it's his it's his defensive ability, and you know less so against Italy. But against, you know, if Ben Young throws a throws an intercept pass that he that he picks off against uh, against England, uh, or you know, or against Ireland or something like that, it's you could be talking about match winning contributions there. So, um, and even if he doesn't, it's the kind of thing that that keeps um, that keeps defenses really really honest. So, whatever happens, they're two fantastic options to have. So uh, that's very very encouraging. Let's let's get your take quickly on. Um, on Reese Webb, obviously coming back to the Ospreys uh, next season, the WRU have said he is eligible for selection uh, because he's kind of committed to rejoining a, uh, a Welsh region. Um, he's probably got some some ground to cover up after, I guess, a, a kind of misfiring couple of seasons out in Toulon where we've seen some good stuff and you know, um, I, but certainly by no means his best form during his time out in France. Not, but obviously he's on record as saying that you know he's finding it very difficult to you know be apart from his um, wife and children. Mm. And I think in any walk of life, in any job, if you're unhappy off the field, then um, you know you're probably not going to be at your best in terms of your work. So I think that's that's understandable, really. Um, but you know, you know Reece Webb is a fantastic player. Um, you know I think it's a great signing for the Ospreys. It's a great signing for Wales in terms of the national team. Um, however, I am torn on um, on the special dispensation and they've given him to play in the Six Nations. Um, be, I'm about 50-50 on it, really, but I'm coming out in favour of them making the wrong decision, I think, because I'm a big fan of the 60-cap law myself. Mm. Um, I think, you know, I understand where support has come from. You know, a lot, a lot of people obviously don't follow the regional game. They, only follow the national team and they want to pick the best players and I get that but Welsh rugby I was talking to a former Wales coach the other day and he was he was scared by it Welsh rugby is scary how reliant we are on the national side yeah. so there has to be an emphasis on strength in the <clears> regions <throat> and that's why I think the 60 cap law it would be higher in my opinion if I am my way you know I, I think that was a real positive because we want the regions to be extreme or pro size whatever you want to call them to be extremely competitive like like they are in Ireland um, and this law it seemed to have teeth uh, but I know Webb is obviously committed to come back to the Ospreys so it's different and I'm not completely against it but I just think when, when, when you're bending the rules a bit like that it, it does tell players that oh hang on you know they, 
it's not as watertight as, as we thought. Um, I don't think there's no extraordinary circumstances here. You know, in my opinion, he should be eligible for selection as soon as he comes back to play for the Ospreys rather than now. Um, I, you know, it's obviously a big boost for Wales if selected. That's a big if. But for me, yeah, it's great to have him back. He's going to be an asset to Wales, hopefully. You know, he's obviously, I don't know, Wimber Pan, he's a really good bloke, but for me, I, I wouldn't have given a special dispensation. I, I think it's a kick in the in the bollocks for players who um, have turned their moves to go abroad. Um, you know, something like Arlie Davis, whatever you think about him, you know, is it right that he's just chucked up the squad because of, you know, because they sort of changed their minds sort of last minute? You know, I, I personally have Roger Williams in the squad as a third night myself, um, or Keelan Hardy to build for the future just for now. I think he should be eligible from, from next season onwards, not now. So, in my opinion, uh, I think that was a wrong decision. Yeah, it's a close call. I mean, I'd, I'd probably be the other side of the fence, I think, just in terms of where we are at the moment. If there are other players out there, I, I, I don't know, I, I think it could act as a bit of a as a bit of a carrot to say, look, the only way you can you can bend or get round this 60-cap rule is by coming back to Wales. and. You know, whether it's whether it's in five months' time or or now, I'm 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 kind of all right with it. I, I agree. If you're Alan Davis, that that is a that is a tough call on you, um, but it's not. You know, he is. I, I think if they'd have done it for the World Cup, it would have been. Yeah, it would have said, all right, look, if you're good enough, you can you can leave. But the fact that he's he signed on the dotted line, I, I'm kind of fairly happy with that. That um. That it's you know that it's it's still watertight, and I, I'm I'm like you actually. I, I think I, I know it's frustrating sometimes. If you, yeah, if you, for example, if you only follow the national side, like you said, but this this is working. You know, you've seen Liam Williams coming back to coming back to Scarlet, Reese Webb coming back. Um, obviously, Liam Williams is a slightly different situation anyway. But at the same time, I, I think this this is working. You know, it's it's keeping players in Wales, and it's it's keeping the. Uh, the the regional sides competitive and hopefully will make them stronger in the long run as well. So I think look, it, it's definitely a, has been a positive step in my yeah, opinion. Yeah, I, I wouldn't disagree. Uh, I'm fifty fifty on it, and he obviously is committed to come back to Wales. So not just out to the blue, but I don't know. Just um, as I said, you know, I just think it's a bit harsh on players who have turned down moves to go to England and stuff. And that yeah, I, I for me, I would have just kept it as it is. Yeah, no, it's a, yeah, it's a uh, interesting call either way. Uh, this one has come in from at Welsh Rugby Rant. Uh, what would you do at the Ospreys now to fix the situation? What coaches would you look to bring in? I mean, yeah, far far away, Steph. Uh, where do you start? Um, <laughs> how, how long have I got left in this podcast? Uh, yeah, we'll, keep, we'll try and keep it as succinct as possible. Yeah, well, right. So, um, well, I, I just think the whole place needs He's a makeover uh, from top to bottom. Um, I think Alan Clark, r- r- rugby's results-based business, but I think Alan Clark has thrown under the bus. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think um, those above him, um, in terms of you know those who make recruitment, etc., I think they've got a lot to answer for. Uh, I've got to be honest, I haven't spoken to um, former employees. I won't name names. The, the places. Is, an, is a shambles. Um, pretty obvious looking at the results. Obviously, they, they've been very unlucky. You know, with the World Cup, they've had a lot of injuries. Um, 
you know, and that's not going to help anyone. But you got to you got to question the culture, you? you know, really. Um, you know, I watched them against the Scarlets, and Scarlets played really well. They're a good side, but the, it was almost as if they were playing like Zebra or the Southern Kings. You know, mm. they they were they were dire, yeah, and there's no way the Scarlets should have been forty-four points better than them. There's no way they should have been nil. So I think there needs to be. Um, they need to have a look at the whole operation rather than just the coaches. Um, but, but to answer the question in terms of, of coaches, I mean, I don't think it's confirmed yet, but I think there's a chance that Mike Ruddick will stay not as a coach, in a coaching capacity. I, I don't think he'd be a good appointment in a coaching capacity because mm. the game's moved on, but I think that um, Ruddick would obviously be really good as a director of rugby yeah. or a general manager. Um, in terms of coaching, it depends who's out there. It depends what they can afford. I mean, would a top coach be attracted to that job at the moment? Probably not. So they need to do similar to the Dragons. I think they need to look at somebody who can get their culture right. Yeah. Obviously, Dean Ryan's out of bounds at the moment, but for somebody like Dean Ryan, um, I haven't got any names off the top of my head, but I, I just think that that's key. They've got to get. they got to get. they got to get it working again. You know, forget about winning stuff. Just just get the place working again. Um, and ov- obviously as well, you know, they, they recruit them at, their squad is terribly unbalanced and mm. that's their own fault. You know, they, they sign all these big players like Reese Webb and, uh, you know, and Scott Williams, etc. Players are going to be away throughout the whole season. Um, you know, and, and when the Ospreys were successful before, yes, they had that Galacticos period, but, you know, they are players that were there throughout the season. The players like Jason Spice, Theo yeah. Tia Tia, Nicky Walker... You know that level of player um, that was getting them through these international periods. You know the Scarlets have got them with people like Sam Lacey, Tavita Rotuva, uh, that type of player. Um, but the Ospreys haven't got that, and the, the squad needs an over, a complete overhaul as well. Um, they they just need they need to take a step back and uh, and rip it up and start again. I think I think it's it's in dire straits. I think the yeah I agree. Look for me, it's a, it's a similar situation to what to where Dragons found themselves. Now I think you know like like we said, I think Ryan's been a really good appointment for the Dragons, and the reason why I think that is and why he's been a success is because he's got a huge amount of experience, and I think that's that's what the Ospreys need. You know they need someone to come in. You know Alan Clark was a was essentially a um, you know a coach being promoted to a head coach, and. You know, I agree. I agree to a certain extent. I think he's been he's been thrown under the bus there, but the results were not good. And I think you could look at some of the decisions and some of the sides he selected throughout throughout that kind of eighteen months in charge that that kind of didn't that didn't stack up and and didn't um, weren't reflective of those decisions of a head coach. And I think you know, kind of before that, obviously you had kind of Tandy making the making the step up to head coach. I, th- I think if they're going to make this side competitive, yet alone winning things again. You need to have someone who's got a, a similar level of experience, you know, a a Dean Ryan or a Jim Malander. Yeah. I you know I know Malander's taken that job up at Scotland as performance director or whatever it is, but it, it's someone like that for me, someone who's used to picking, um, managing big dressing rooms and uh, and creating good competitive sides and and that that's what that's what I think they've they've got to they've got to get right this time. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with you, um, but in terms of class. Question's got to be asked: Did he get the, the support he needed? No, I think he's I, doing three I, I, men's job. To be honest. Yeah, but yeah, but you know, at the end of the day, I mean, did he get the players he wanted to get in? Yeah, he's constantly talking about we wanted to strengthen the pack and mm. strengthen 
and get more threat in depth. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I absolutely agree with that, and I think you know the the uh, the blame for that has to lie outside of the outside of the coaching team. You know, it's it's those who are um, it's those who are in charge of recruitment and in charge of structuring the club from from kind of top down. So, yeah. yeah, you're right. Questions have got to be asked there as well. Let's um, let's have a look at uh, a couple more things in re- in relation to the national side. This one's coming from Tom Harrison. Who's your starting thirteen for the Six Nations? You know, when I heard I was coming on this, obviously I I looked at the questions and I've been racking my brains over this. It should be a straightforward answer, shouldn't it? But I honestly don't know who should start at 13 because I genuinely don't think we've got any 13s that are good enough. Mm. Like natural out-and-out 13s. It, it's a real problem position because Jonathan Davis has probably or definitely been the best in the world for a long time. Certainly one of the best. I think it sounds bizarre, but I think losing Willis Holo was a big blow as well yeah. because even though he's flawed, he's got a bit of flaws in his game. He's a top player making him back he's very experienced he would have been a good sort of stopgap you know for a couple of years before the likes of Corey Baldwin or T and Thomas Wheeler come through um, so that was a bit of a setback really um, I think we got options at 12 yeah. because I think Parks is struggling a bit but Owen Williams could come back into the fold um, you know you, you could potentially play Jared or, or Bigger there as well um, Scott obviously and um, so you know there are options there, but in terms of the 13 position, maybe if you push me, I'd say Scott Williams, but he's, you know, he's in quite injury prone at the moment. Played well yesterday, I thought, but you know, he went off again, he hobbled off, didn't he? So mm. that, that's a problem. Um, Steph Hughes has been mentioned. I think he's been excellent for the Scarlets, but he's a 12, not a 13, really. And has he got a pace? I'm not sure. I think he maybe should be in the squad, but you know, you got to think. You know, you got to think before you, you, you put a name forward. You got to think: could this player form and make an impact against England at Twickenham, mm. or are you landing in your Aviva Stadium? You know, this is a level where you know we need the player to be at. I think in the long run, I think Owen Lane could be the 13 because I think his, I think his ceiling would be higher in centre than on the wing. Yeah. Um, but again, I don't you know, can't really just throw him in there when he hasn't played any regional rugby. So if you were to push me, I'd say Scott Williams. But I think it's a big, big problem. Yeah, it is. I, I tell you, I think it's a bit of a forgotten man in um, in all of this. I think, and you know, it's, it's down in, in no small part to his horrendous injury record. But you know, I think Tyler Morgan's got has got some good experience yeah. at international level. Um, I'm not saying he's he's the long term answer here, but he's still he's still a young man. I think he's open to more improvement. I'd be I would I would genuinely be having a look at this. I know the the previous regime rated him very very highly. Had him in there as a young kid. Played uh, you know played a, a rugby world cup quarter final when we were in a very similar um, injury strapped um, position here. So I don't know you know the fact that he's he's kind of he seems to be staying fit right now. Um, it's not it's not going to help the dragons having him away from there. But I, I think I think he's an option worth looking at. Yeah, Tyler looked like he was going to be a superstar, didn't he? But yeah. he's so many injuries, and obviously the diabetes um, can't have helped either. Um, you know, he hasn't he hasn't been ripping up trees because of injuries. But yeah, I suppose given our our crisis, it's not out of the question. Um, but I think the worrying thing is as well. You read former internationals saying that outside centre is 
is the most is the toughest and uh, position to defend on the field and the most important. Yeah. So that's that's the problem. Not so much from an attacking point of view, from a defensive point of view. Yeah. Well, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it is. Um, and but I, th- I think whoever you're playing there, it's going to be tough. Just to finish on the centre, uh, the centre selection. This one came in from Steve White as well, basically asking the same thing, but also, you know, kind of said, would it be worth looking at experimenting with a winger like, uh, you know, like Adams or Lane, who've who've both been suggested. Um, I, I mean, for me, I I think it has to be a specialist or as close to a specialist as possible. So. Yeah, but I we are not specialists, are we? That's a problem, I suppose. Yeah, but I, I mean, Scott has played a fair amount of rugby at thirteen at international level. I mean, I know he's he's not a he's not a best form, and he's had a lot of injuries and missed out on the World Cup and stuff. But he does have that experience of playing there, and 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 you know, I think I think Morgan, as I've said, I've made the case for him. I think he's a I think he's a, you know he's a he's a specialist thirteen. I think they're better options than than chucking Owen Lane in straight away and. Uh, or you know, or Josh Adams, who's just who's playing so well on the wing. I think that that's. I don't think you particularly want to mess with those. No, I agree. I, you know, as I said, I'd like to see Lane developed as a thirteen in the long run, but I don't think you can just put him in without any pro experience there. Adams could maybe do a job, but again, you take you're taking a he's a strength in the wing. Yeah. You know, obviously gonna might be a bit of a weakness in his game at thirteen, so. I think if he's fit, I think I, I would just put Scott Williams in. I don't think there's that much choice, if I'm being honest. All right, this one is from Asa Joseph. Uh, do we need to organise a friendly next week to cap uh, to cap Louis Rees-Samet and make sure England don't nab him? Uh, obviously, he's a player who's impressed a huge amount uh, for Gloucester this season. The rugby paper were reporting this morning that apparently Eddie Jones had made an approach. Um, anyone who follows him on Instagram or Twitter will see he seems pretty committed to... Uh, to Wales in that regard. Um, do you think he's, he's someone who might feature in the squad, Steph? Uh, I'd start him against this today. Would you? Um, but, but why not? I mean, you know, George North made his debut at 18 against South Africa. Half Benny did against South Africa and played really well at, at 18. You know, he's played, he'd have played in a higher standard of rugby um, than against Italy. So, you know, he's a form win. He's scoring tries for fun in a tougher league. You know, obviously... He's going to be tested far more defensively and behaviorally mm. at international level. And it's not all about try scoring on the win. Your defensive games are as important as scoring tries, but pick him against Italy. That means he's tight. Yeah. He's there on merit anyway. Um, and then if he's got flaws in his game, then you pull him out for Ireland and, and England. I think it's a perfect time to start him. I, I'd start him half penny full back, playing the best rugby he has since 2013. Um, re-sam it on, on one win Josh and, Adams on um, the win oh Johnny McNichol on the other win but okay. I don't think Jordan also has been the team so I, I'd start him definitely interesting uh, right couple more just to finish on um, again we've kind of covered a little a little bit of this already but um, this one's from Richard Needs despite all the complaints about the internationals not being, being available regularly um, could this be a blessing in disguise lots of our future Welsh players um, getting valuable game time um, as a as a result, you know, is is the mix about right with the World Cup year kind of being a bit of an exception? Um, well, yeah, it is a silver lining. That's a fact, isn't it? Um, you know, because players are away in international rugby, it, it gives chances to a lot of the younger players. Um, 
but you know, you know my opinion on this. Uh, I just think the regional game should be as important or just a little bit less important than the national team. You know, we, we need to build interest in the game, professional game, and we need to find a way to get our best players on the field as often as we can. And, you know, there's plenty of rugby for everyone, uh, young youngster and senior international and non-wedge qualified players throughout the season. Um, but yeah, certainly this uh, this current flawed model does, you know, that is a silver lining. It does allow younger players to, to experience the Pro 14. Um, so yes, yeah, so I suppose that that is a, a positive to to come out of it. And then just quickly to finish, Steph. Before the uh, obviously we've had a lot of a lot of rugby over the festive period to have a look at. Anyone you think might be a bit of a bolter for the uh, for Pivac's squad? Uh, well, we, we mentioned uh, Rhys Ahmed, or given his form, I don't think you know. I think bolter's a bit offensive, really. I, I think. Um, that's difficult. Uh, looking at the squad, I think um, I would have said Keelan Hardy, but obviously Reece Webb being yeah. fit and all the fuss, he's probably going to be ahead of him. Um, oh, I'm, I'm struggling a bit. I think um, Shane Lewis Hughes might keep his place in the squad in the Barbarians game. One guy who I would definitely select is Will Griff John, the sale tight dead. Yeah. Um, because um, uh, the Welsh selectors have been up to watch him a few times last season and this season, so he's clearly being considered. Um, he's not as talented around the park as Dylan Lewis and Leon Brown. He's not I don't think he's gonna be scoring like forty meter runs like Brown did against the Ospreys, but he's a very strong scrummager. Playing you know, he doesn't give an inch in the premiership, has given a few players some tunings as well. Carries as, uh, as well. I just think with Francis injured, you know, Samson's a decent player but he's perhaps not what he was. Mm-hmm. I'd have him in the squad. I think we need to build up the tight dead, and I think he's he's a player that um, deserves an opportunity. So I'd, I'd have him in. Um, and um, another guy who's playing really well is Josh McLeod, the starless open side. But again, you know, I, I think Ollie Griffith is potentially the best seven, so I keep him in the squad. I'm a big fan of Basham, so it's quite a choice there. But Will Griff John is definitely a player I'd have in the squad. Good stuff. Steph, it's been fantastic chatting to you as always. Hopefully we'll catch you, uh, if not before, during the Six Nations. And uh, yeah, we'll be, uh, we'll be back to chat to you very, very soon. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.